Now we're going to talk about the law of worship. Again, a design law gives us great insights into what, what, how we understand Scripture and how we can interpret the meaning of passages in Scripture and why God sometimes seems agitated or angry or wrathful because he doesn't want the consequence to happen to his children that will happen if they transgress his law. So let's talk about the law of worship. Integrative evidence-based approach. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We all know the, the commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I travel around the world and I say to people, why? Why does God say thou shalt have no other gods before me? And answers I sometimes get, well, because it's the law. It's the commandment. Because God is sovereign. Because God is creator. Because he's our savior. Now, guess what? Everything I just said are truths. It is true that God is our Savior, God is the Creator, God is sovereign, it is the law. All those are factual truths. And none of them are the reason why God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's how we can take a truth, a factual truth, and create a false understanding. The reason God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me is because of the law of worship, a design protocol known as, in psychiatry and psychology, as modeling. In the Bible... It's described in 2 Corinthians 3.18 as, by beholding, we become changed. I will give you the big principle, and I'll show you the evidence for it. On earth, we are the highest created beings on planet earth. There is nothing on planet earth that you can worship that will cause you to advance or develop. Anything on earth you worship will degrade you, diminish you. Because God loves you, he wants you to grow to the highest pinnacles of development possible. And the only way you can advance beyond our current human level is to worship him, the infinite one. And by worshiping the infinite one, we continue to advance to develop through all eternity future. We continue to assimilate and become more and more and more and more like him. We never become infinite. It's an ever-ending eternal journey of growth into the beauty of God. That's why he wants us to worship him. The question is not what we worship, because everyone worships something. Even those who don't believe in God, they worship. It's a looking outside of self for a frame of orientation that gives life meaning and direction and purpose. The question really is, what are we worshiping? This is a kek. This is the pic, uh, a, an image of the frog god of ancient Egypt worshipped by the ancient Egyptians, dealt with in the second of the ten plagues in Exodus. And you can imagine the problem when your family and children gather around and bow down to the frog and pray, dear Lord Frog, bless mom and dad and help me to grow up to be like you. <laughs> it's a real problem. In human beings with intelligence wanting to degrade themselves into the image of a frog. Um, or uh, Karnimata, the uh, goddess of uh, of one of the sects of Hinduism, and this is a relief from a temple in India today. And you can see at the bottom of that relief what they worship. They worship the rat. This is a picture out of the inside of the temple, and that's a bowl of honey and milk, and worshipers will come down and kneel and drink out of that with the rats. It is considered a great blessing to be bitten by a rat. Here's young men who believe in reincarnation. They are created in the image of God. They have their own unique identity, own unique ability to think, to reason, to act. And now they have as their highest goal to die and become a rat. Do we see a problem with this? 
This is why God says to worship Him. Because only in worshiping Him is it restorative, is it healing, is it help you grow and, and recover and advance. What does the science tell us? Newberg and his group took individuals 65 years of age and older, had them meditate 12 minutes a day on a God of love. Prior to the meditation, for, just for 30 days, prior to the meditation, they measured the anterior cingulate cortex. That's the part labeled ACC. That's where you experience love, empathy, compassion, altruism. They also took baseline measures of heart rate and blood pressure, which is a measure of stress. That's, that goes up when your amygdala, your stress circuit fires. Your blood pressure, heart rate goes up. And they did standardized memory testing. At the end of 30 days, meditating 12 minutes a day on a God of love, they could measure growth on an MRI scan in the anterior cingulate cortex. The love circuits were stronger. And the way our brains are wired, when your anterior cingulate cortex, your love circuits activate and fire, they send a calming signal down to your fear circuit, your amygdala, their blood pressure and heart rate was lower. Perfect love casts out fear neurobiologically. And they had 30% improvement in uh, memory testing all within 30 days. They had another group of individuals meditate 12 minutes a day for 30 days on an angry God or a punishing God or a distant God. You did not get these positive brain results by worshiping on gods other than love. God is love. Only by worshiping the true God do we actually experience healing for our beings. This same principle, law of worship, was demonstrated in a study by um, Centerwall on television watching and violence. He wanted to see if there was an association between watching, violent, uh, watching television, not violent television, just television watching, and violence in society. So he looked at three societies, United States, Canada, South Africa. Television came in the U.S. and Canada in 1945. No television in South Africa at all until 1974. He used a black and white measure of violence, which was homicide rates, murder rates in those countries. And then he evaluated, well, did murder rates change after um, the television came into society? In South Africa, he looked at white-on-white-only homicide to take out apartheid issues that were going on at the time. And this is what he discovered. After the introduction of television, homicide rates in the United States jumped 93%. In Canada, they jumped 92%. And in South Africa, during the same time, they dropped 7%. But then he looked at homicide rates in South Africa after the introduction of television. White-on-white-only homicides jumped 130%. Now, many people think, okay, bad violent content in, you get bad violent content out. But what was the television programming on the United States before, between 1945 and 1974? Leave it, Leave it to Beaver, Andy Griffith, Howdy Doody, Car 54, Gilligan's Island. And here's the violent one, gun smoke. <laughs> and they're all rated G. G-rated program, programming, 92, 93% rise in homicide rates. Because watching the television, the theatrical entertainment, it activates emotion circuits while simultaneously suspending activity in your higher cortex. So um, another design law called the law of exertion. If you want something to get stronger, you must exercise it. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. 
And so activating over and over again uh, programming that makes you emotional to get you to laugh, get you to cry, get you frightened, get you aroused, get you some emotional response while simultaneously suspending reasoning, critical reasoning and thinking, it changes brain structure over time so kids entering adolescence are more moody, more irritable, more impulsive and less able to self-restrain and thus when the hormones hit they act out aggressively or sexually or turn to substances to calm themselves because their brains can no longer calm themselves. And all the studies show not only do homicide rates go up with television watching, this is, by the way, theatrical television, not educational television, so our DVDs are good. <laughs> because educational television exercises critical reasoning circuits. That's what they do, they get you thinking. Okay? Theatrical television suspends critical reasoning circuits and activates emotion circuits. And so the more television kids watch, all the studies show, they not only have more violence, they do have um, sexual activity at an earlier age, and they do have more substance use because they lose impulse control and good judgment. Uh, this was a, a two different studies looking at inattention, uh, which is prefrontal cortex, and television watching, and they looked at violent theatrical television programming, non-violent theatrical television programming, so R-rated, G-rated, and educational programming. And they found that it didn't matter, R-rated or G-rated programming um, caused attention impairments, prefrontal cortex problems. Educational programming did not. So it's really about the exercising of the brain circuits, the law of exertion. So when you have no other gods before me from Scripture, by beholding we are changed, I've shown you from the meditation science and the uh, television science what's happening in the brain, religiosity versus spirituality. Now let's look at life experiences. Um, studies show that people who are religious, that religiosity, rule-keeping and religiosity was a significant predictor of child abuse, but people who were focused on developing spiritually, it actually was the reverse. It was a predictor of not abusing children. Another study found the same thing. Physical abuse had a negative relationship to spiritual development, but not religiosity. Meaning if you focused on developing your inner person to be a more spiritual person, you're less likely to abuse people physically. But if you're religious and focus on rule keeping, you're more likely to abuse people. 1994, Rwanda, you might remember the story, over one million people were slaughtered in a four-month period. And the primary killing zones were churches. Churches. People of all different denominations, it didn't matter, you don't have multiple Protestant churches, and if you remember, your, your, your church group was represented in this process. Roman Catholic, represented. Didn't really matter. Primary killing zones were in the churches. The refugees would run and they would go to the churches for safety, and the killing squads would come in the churches and kill. Oftentimes, people from the church would go out, and the church membership would go out and find the killing squads and bring them into their church to kill the people that were hiding there. Multiple pastors, priests, nuns, and various church members were convicted of war crimes after this was over. Clergy killed their own parishioners, and parishioners killed their own clergy. Um, the research in the afterwards, uh, and the research looking at this, Longman uh, wrote the following in his, in his book that really dug into what happened in this uh, genocide. He said, believing that their actions were consistent with the teachings of their churches, 
the death squads in some communities held mass before going out to kill. People came to mass each day to pray, then they went out to kill. In some cases, militia members apparently paused in the frenzy of killing to kneel down and pray at the altar and then get up and kill some more. Those, and, and they looked at, well, where did the breakdown happen? Who participated in the killing? Who helped protect the refugees? And, and they discovered it was those with an authoritarian God concept, a God who makes up rules and punishes rule breakers, a God who runs his universe like Caesar runs Rome, a God who has laws that work like human laws. Those who had that concept of God participated in the killing. But those who had a benevolent God concept, those who had a God of love who was seeking to heal, to save, to redeem, like a heavenly physician God, they helped protect and hide the refugees regardless of denomination. It didn't matter how they were baptized. It didn't matter how they took communion. It didn't matter on what day they went to church. It didn't matter whether they believed in the Trinity or didn't believe in the Trinity. What, where it broke down was what picture of God did they hold? Authoritarian and source of inflicted pain for rule-breaking or benevolent God who's seeking to save and to heal? That broke the group down. By beholding, we become changed. How can this be? Neuroplasticity, the ability of the brain to rewire, grow new neurons, and delete unused pathways. Our brains are in a state of flux based on the choices we're making in life. The brain can change structurally, rewire itself. If you decide to go take some language classes and start studying a new language, your brain will make new pathways for that language. You start taking music lessons and become proficient in an instrument, you will have new neural pathways in your brain for that ability. The brain will change structurally, but only if we change the circuits that we're firing. If we fire the same circuits, the brain will not change. Theologies that chronically fire fear circuits cause them to grow stronger, resulting in greater stress on the body, activating immune system, inflammation, with risks of mental health problems, increases your risk of depression and dementia. Relationship conflicts, as you can imagine, physical health problems, hypertension, heart disease, diabetes. If we teach God's love and the God of love, and by beholding him we activate and develop our love circuits, we send a calming signal to our fear circuits, which reduces the, the stress on the body, the inflammatory cascades, which results in healthier brains, healthier bodies, and healthier relationships. Key learning points. The law of worship is a design law. Everyone worships something. The question is, what are we worshiping? We are changed biologically and characterologically based on what we worship. Only the truth about God, the truth that our God is love, His character of love, His methods of love, His design of love is healing. Fear-inducing God concepts are harmful. It's time for a roundtable discussion.